you know, Jesus uh, was very, very unpredictable. And never so much so as recorded in the Gospel of John. He, with his disciples, they were going north from Judea up into Galilee. And between the two regions was the region of Samaria. Now, the Jews, when they traveled from Judea to Galilee, they always circled around, even though it was a lot more, a lot more miles. They would circle around Samaria. They didn't want to go through Samaria because Samaria was, uh, well, it, it was mixed blood. Uh, people that were half Jew and half Gentile. And so there was bitter, bitter hatred between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Now, but Jesus went straight through Samaria on his way to Galilee, and that had to make his disciples extremely uncomfortable. Well, about noon of that day, they arrived in this small Samaritan village called Sychar. The disciples went out to look for, and I'm going to try to uh, bring this up to date, they went out to look for a Chick-fil-A, okay? (laughs) Because it was noon, they were all hungry. And uh, while they were gone, and you probably many of you know this story, Jesus initiated a conversation with a lady who has ever since been called the woman at the well. We don't have her name. And in this conversation, Jesus led her to trust in him as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Jesus that day revolutionized this woman's life from the inside out. Took her all the way from meaninglessness and rejection to a brand new life. In fact, the greatest kind of life. The life of God himself began to flow inside of her. Remember Jesus said, if you'll take the living water I have, it'll become in you like a fountain springing up into everlasting life. And and Jesus changed that woman's life that day. You know, the first thing she did after she had this conversation with Jesus, she ran back into the village where she had come from, and she began to tell everybody about the Messiah. And this is what she said. I want you to come and meet a man who told me everything I have ever done. And yet he didn't condemn me. And isn't it a wonderful thing to know that we have a Savior who he can read your life story like a book, cover to cover. And he can see all the junk in that story and all the shame and all the mess and everything we've made in our life. And he still invites us to come his way. He still opens up his arms to us. That's Jesus Christ, and that's, that's the Messiah. That's the one who changed this woman's life, and he's the one who changes our lives. He takes the shame away, and he gives us a brand new life in its place. Well, anyhow, she ran back into the town and invited everybody else to come and check Jesus out. Now, we're going to come back to that part of the story in just a moment, but we're going to pick up the story right now in chapter 4, verse 27. Because the disciples, they went out to get the lunch, they return, and the scripture says they are surprised that Jesus is talking with a woman. First of all, he was breaking a social rule here. In that day, men did not talk. With, they just didn't carry on those conversations with a woman other than their wife or a close relative or a daughter. And this was a Samaritan woman at that and if, and if they, if the disciples had only known the rest of the story about this woman that had come up in the conversation with Jesus, I mean, she was a woman who had been married five times, and now she was shacked up with a man who was not her husband, 
But they didn't find Jesus condemning her and judging her when they came. Uh, not at all. He, in fact, he was in his, the longest conversation that Jesus had with anybody recorded in the Bible is with this woman, with a person who everybody else had written off. You know, in that day, the commentaries all tell us that when women came to the well, they usually came in groups as a matter of protection. But this woman came to the well by herself. She was an outcast even in her own town. And so here, the, the least likely of people And the scripture says that that day that Jesus needed to go through Samaria, he went there to meet one single woman that had been cast aside by every other person she knew. That's the Savior. Well, anyhow, the disciples um, arrive just as Jesus is wrapping up the conversation. And this woman walks away back into the town. She had to be walking on air that day. Now, the scripture says the disciples, none of them would say anything to Jesus. They didn't ask Jesus, though this was the question burning in their minds. Jesus, what are you doing? Talking to that woman, what are you doing? But they switched, they got back to the lunch at hand. They said, Jesus, we found the Chick-fil-A, here's your sandwich, here's your curly fries. Uh, Eat something. Now, here's his response when they offer him something to eat, is one of the most puzzling things that Jesus ever said to his disciples. And and they couldn't figure out what he meant that day. This is what he says. He says, I've already eaten. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Food with flavor and nutrition like you have never tasted before. And so the disciples, puzzled, they think, well, man, did somebody bring him some food? And then Jesus says this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, paraphrasing Jesus, he's saying, guys, what fills me with strength? What fills me with energy? What makes me feel more alive and full and satisfied than anything else in the world is leading other people to salvation. My conversation with this woman about the redeeming of her life means more to me than a thousand gift certificates to Magianos. And this is what the Father has sent me to do. And so what Jesus did that moment, he was just pulling back the curtains of his heart. And he was letting the disciples see what is the heart of God. The heart of God. And now in verses 28 to 30, we're told, as I mentioned a moment ago, that the the woman left. She ran back into the village and spread the news about the Messiah. And and the scripture goes on to say there, if if you read it, not going to take time to read it now, but that the people started to come back out of the village toward Jesus. And as that crowd of people is coming in the distance, Jesus turned to his disciples and he took this as a teaching moment, a core teaching moment for his disciples and every disciple ever since. And this is what he says in verses 35 and 36. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. Well, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. And I think when he said, look at the fields, He was causing them to look out there at that field of humanity. 
that was moving out of that village and coming toward, toward Jesus. Look at all these people. Look at this human harvest field. It is ripe and ready for the harvest. So don't say there's still four months. The harvest is now. It's today. And he says in verse 36, even now the one who reaps receives a wage and harvests, listen to this phrase, harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. What Jesus was doing here was he was completely revamping the whole way the disciples looked at people as they went about day by day. He was helping them see each person with depth and value and setting them free from, the, from seeing people with, through the filter of social conventions and categories and labels that always make us keep a distance from people. He was teaching them that their mission was exactly the same as his, and that is to love people and out of that love to share the good news with them. You know, Jesus is saying to every follower, to you and I this morning, no matter what our profession or our career might be, no matter what we go out and do between Sundays, this is his word to us. When you have the mission of bringing the kingdom of God to lost people in your heart, when that's in your heart, then you have found the flavor of life, the joy of life, and you have found the strength, the passion of life. You have found the food that's going to flavor your life and the food that's going to give you the strength of your life is when the mission of sharing the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus, is bursting in your heart and you take it out with you into the world, Sunday to Sunday, between Sunday to Sunday. Church family, I'll say it to Calvary Church this morning. Jesus' food is our food. The joy and the strength of the church is sharing Jesus Christ. And when the church stops feeding and deriving its joy and its strength from the mission Christ has given us, at that moment, a church begins to die. And the last thing Satan wants, and what he fears the most, is any church that is really feeding on the mission of Jesus Christ to win people. Why is Satan upset about that? Because it interferes with the mission he's passionate about. What is Satan passionate about? What's his mission? His mission is leading people to destruction. Have you ever stopped and thought about how passionate Satan and demonic powers, how passionate they are to destroy humanity? Jesus told us, John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I had a mom call me on the phone on Friday who lives here in town. She doesn't come to our church. But she, she was just, she'd been calling around because she has a son on drugs. And so she called me and uh, we talked maybe for 10 or 15 minutes. And she was wanting to know, what do I do? She was desperate. Uh, I love my son. He's, he's, he's being destroyed by drugs. What, where do I go? What do I do? So I was able to point her a couple directions. And I pointed her, and I'm grateful for the ministry, Terry, that you're leading. And I was able to talk to her about Not Invincible and this whole movement afoot in Lamont to try to help 
bring awareness about drugs, all these kinds of things. But, you know, that's just one tool that Satan is used, using to destroy human beings. That's his mission. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 said this, The God of this age, who is that? That's Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they may not see the light of the good news that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So I want you to picture Satan's strategy room this morning. Do you believe Satan has a strategy room? Or is this all make-believe and fairy tale? Not according to Jesus Christ. It's the most serious stuff in the world. It's why he came into the world is to defeat the powers of darkness that are out to destroy us. So picture Satan's strategy room. When I think of it, I think of (laughs) his room in hell. And he's got post-it notes all over the place with the names of people beside their pictures. And these are the people he has targeted, targeted for destruction. And among those, uh, your pictures there, and your children, the people that you brush shoulders with at work. I mean, we need to take it serious. Satan is out to destroy every human being on this planet. And those that do not know Christ, as you and I do today, they are, they are on a road that is leading them to an eternal destruction, a road that's going away from God forever. Here's the tipping point. And I think this, this is really important. When the passion of Christians to lead people to salvation exceeds the passion of Satan to lead people to destruction, then the kingdom of God will overcome the enemy's gates and people will be set free. I want to say that one again. When the passion of Christians, when the passion of the church to lead people to salvation exceeds Satan's passion to destroy people, then the tide turns. Then we will begin to see people coming to Christ from our villages, from our towns, people being set free from drugs, the power of sin broken in people's lives. But you know what? That passion that was in Jesus' heart has to be a passion that is a flame, is the fire in the bones of his people, of you and I. We're in the midst of a political race for the presidential office right now. And that's an interesting race this year, isn't it? (laughs) That's the most interesting I've ever seen. But whoever wins that office, they don't have the answers to the stuff we're talking about this morning. Maybe they can help us with the economy. Maybe maybe they can help us with defense. Maybe, Maybe they can help us with some of these other huge issues. But the issues we're talking about today, there's no president that's ever lived who will ever be able to help us with these. The only one that can help us set people free from an eternity and and the blindness of the enemy. His name is what? There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. And it is your passion for Jesus Christ and my passion for Christ and your passion and my passion to share his name with the people that we brush shoulders with week by week. That is the only answer. That's the only ultimate solution to the human dilemma. But you know, Satan will do all he can to beat that passion out of Christians with planned assaults. 
Satan will strike as close to you as he can get. Satan will reach out to strike what is important to you. Satan has studied you. He knows your vulnerabilities. He knows your hot buttons. He knows which buttons to push to distract you from the mission that Jesus has given us. You know, Satan never wanted Jesus to get far enough into his ministry to even have that conversation with the woman at the well. Let's think about this for a second. Jesus started his ministry at the River Jordan. He got baptized by John the Baptist. What happened is he was coming out of the water that says the Spirit of God came down and filled Jesus, rested upon Christ. During his earthly ministry, Jesus laid aside his divinity status as uh, his powers of divinity as second person of the Trinity. He stayed God, but he didn't use those powers. He relied upon the power of the Holy Spirit. He's an example to you and I. But anyhow, what happened right off the bat? What was the very first thing that happened after Jesus was filled with the Spirit and ready to go on the mission? The first thing he did was he went into an intense spiritual battle for 40 days in the wilderness. Where Satan, what was Satan doing there in the wilderness that time? He was trying to discourage Jesus. He was trying to turn Jesus away from the mission. He didn't want him to ever end up talking with a woman at a well. He didn't ever want him to end up talking with a guy up in a tree named Zacchaeus either. He didn't want him talking to a guy named Peter. He didn't want him talking to a guy named Andrew. He didn't want any of that. He didn't want Jesus ever coming into your life or mine. Satan tried to discourage Christ and put an end to the mission in that wilderness. Well, you know, we have been sent by Jesus. We have been empowered by the very same Holy Spirit to carry out the same mission that Jesus started. That's the mission of the church. And so, Satan will assault you as a Christian to discourage you, to distract you. You know why? Because discouraged Christians whose passion for Jesus has been beat down, has been worn down, are not likely to be talking about Jesus to other people very much. They're not likely to be sharing him. Satan wants to replace the mission of the church with a survival kind of Christianity. Man, I'm a Christian. I'm so discouraged. I just got to see if I can survive to the next day. But if we're serious about the mission of sharing Christ then we're going to find ourselves in a very intense spiritual battle. What's it going to be like? Well, let me describe a little bit of it. You're going to find some rough going in your life. You're going to find some discouraging moments. You're going to, you're going to find some, some of life's blows coming with force that they stun you and can knock you onto the mat for the 10 count. Jesus taught us that the same opposition that came against him as he sought to carry out the mission will come against us too. But here's the, here's the, here's the bottom line question. Are we willing to do spiritual battle for the sake of winning people to Jesus Christ? And why did Jesus go through all that he did just for a woman like this woman at the well. Why, why did he do all that? Well, it has to do with the value that God places upon every person. We were made by God in his image and his likeness. What does that mean? Well, God's a creator. 
So if we're made in his image, that means that God made us to be eternal co-creator partners alongside of him. He placed our parents in a garden in the center of the earth named Eden to take care of it. And then he said, go out and replenish the earth. What he meant was, go and have babies and have grandbabies and great-grandbabies and have twins <laughs> and, and fill the earth, replenish the earth. And every one of those, every one of those babies that has now become seven billion plus people was born into this world, each one with, a, with different amazing gifts and talents and a whole different range of personality types. There are farmers and builders and teachers and leaders and musicians and artists and athletes. He created people to be city builders and nation builders, leaders. And then God, his mission to, to, to Adam and Eve was this and to all humanity, is to go out into this whole planet and spread the beauty and the culture of Eden to the whole planet. Fill the entire earth with the beauty and the glory of God so that heaven and earth merge. That, that's, what, that's what the first chapters of Genesis are all about. We're co-creators with God on an, on a, an adventure of discovery that's going to last for eternity. When we get to heaven someday, you know where heaven is? Sometimes we take heaven and we push it way out in the far reaches of the universe somewhere. You know what the book of Revelation says? Heaven and earth merge. We're going to be on this earth forever and ever and ever, eternity. That's the, God's going to recreate this world. So I, I'm getting off into a totally different sermon there, but uh, all I'm saying is this, that we're on an eternal creative adventure with God Forever. But Satan came into the garden, you know the story, and he seduced humanity in the persons of our first parents with the idea that we, by our own creativity, could build our own lives and culture and marriages and families and communities and careers and cities and nations. We, in the person of our first parents, took his bait, and human creativity was severed from God. And ever since, we have become a planet of people where our creative imagination and ability has gone south very often into creating evil and very often into our own self-destruction, creative self-destruction. But Jesus came into the world and he took on humanity so that he could be, as the Apostle Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15.45, he could be the last Adam. The first Adam blew it. The first Adam failed. Jesus Christ took on humanity so that he could become the new Adam to start a whole new human family all over again. Give us all a second chance by placing our faith in him so that our, so that our creative depth and strength could be rejoined to God, and we could again get back on track with the mission of going out into our world and proclaiming the kingdom of God and bringing the grace of God and the goodness of God and the creativity and beauty of God through all the forms of life. So every person we meet every single day was created to be an eternal co-creating partner with God. But they're in danger right now 
because they're walking away from God. And Satan is leading them toward a totally different destiny than what God has in mind. What's the destiny that God has in mind? Well, he tells us in Revelation. This is where it's all going to end. In Revelation chapter 21, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And then he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So that's the vision. That's what we're all, that's what God has for us lying out in the future for every human being. But Satan has something different in mind for the people you and I live with and meet with. He has something different in mind for your friends. He has something different in mind for your children. Very, very different. Let me describe what that is. In fact, Jesus described it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And this is the passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says there, are, there is a, a narrow gate and a narrow road that leads to life, and few there be that find it. But he also said there is a wide gate and a very, very wide, broad road that's full of traffic. It's full of human beings that are on the road to destruction. That's a very serious, that's a serious statement. Satan wants to lead people to hell. Jesus said that. What, what is hell? I talked about this a moment last week. But with all of his love for humanity, Jesus spoke honestly about hell. Now sometimes we think of hell as a literal place of fire. Okay? But I believe Jesus was using a word picture so that we could help, he could help us understand this a little bit better. The word for hell is Gehenna. Gehenna was the city garbage, deep, garbage dump outside the city of Jerusalem where all the garbage, week by week, was thrown out there and burnt in the fire it was a place where everything that had been good and useful to the people of Jerusalem, but which no longer was, was just tossed out into the valley of Gehenna and burnt in the fire. So what is Jesus telling us hell is? Hell is the final place of human disintegration. It is the place of complete loss of the person and who they were created to be that person who was full of potential in her humanity to flourish in God's presence on an eternal co-creating adventure, an eternity of discovery in God's universe, ends up instead of being in the eternal city that I described a moment ago, ends up being in what we could call the eternal landfill where finally all of the image of God in them is extinguished 
and exchanged for the image of Satan. And so people that are on the path to destruction, their image is being removed, the image of God is being replaced with an image of Satan. And this is why Jesus came into the world. If, if, our, if our situation hadn't been this dangerous, if we weren't eternally lost, if we could find our own way to God, then Jesus would have never come into the world. He would have never gone to the cross. This is what the cross is all about, is to save us now and to save us from an eternal destruction. This is why Jesus was willing to do battle with Satan. He was willing to fight for the salvation of people around him. This is why he endured everything for the sake of having a conversation with that woman at the well so that he could invite her off of the one road and onto the path that leads to life. You know, John chapter 4, going back to the story of the woman of the well, John chapter 4, verses 39 to 41, tells us when, when that woman ran back into the city, says many of the Samaritans, many of the villagers believed because of this woman's testimony. And what was her testimony? She ran in there saying, man, come meet somebody that told me everything I've ever done and didn't reject me. Instead, he received me and gave me a brand new life. And then it goes on to say that he, so they, they came out to see Jesus and they urged him to stay with him a few days and it says that many more of them became believers in Christ. And so this woman uh, is our example this morning. She followed Christ's example. As soon as she received the good news, the first thing she wanted to do she wanted to go and share it with everybody else, every opportunity she had, and invite them to come and find this Savior. And that's what he's called us to do. Uh, as we go out into our world this week, wherever that world is that you're in, whatever your profession, your career, whatever you're calling, wherever you're brushing shoulders, God has put you there as a missionary. He has sent you there. Uh, you're there to make money. I agree. Uh, you're there to make the product. But I'll tell you what, those are two important things, but they pale in comparison to the real, right, real reason you're at where you're at this week. You've been sent there as a missionary with the good news to share with people, many of whom are probably on the road that's leading to destruction, so that they can come to know the Savior. So let's go out into our world this week praying like crazy people, God, give me an opportunity. Open up opportunities for me to talk with that person. Open the doors, Lord. And as we, as we pray, asking God to open doors, God is going to, God will open those doors and give us those opportunities to share Christ. One thing we can do, we have cards on the seat uh, that are invitation cards. Do what the lady did. Invite people to come and check Jesus out. Invite them to come to church with you. There's a card there you can take, put it in your wallet, have it with you at work, hand it out to people as the opportunity arises. And again, I don't mean go out and be goofy and obnoxious, okay? Not talking about that. That drives people away from Christ. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being kind and courteous and humble and gracious. And then as opportunity arises, engage people in conversation that could turn their whole life around. That's what we're talking about here today. And now maybe this morning you're here uh, yourself and searching for meaning and purpose in your life.
uh, I want to invite you to place your faith in Jesus Christ if you've never done that before. You can do that right where you're seated today. We know that he died on that cross because we've all sinned, and that's what separates us from God. But if we will ask him to forgive us of our sins, knowing that he bore our sins on the cross, then he will completely forgive us and take away all, take away all of our sin, all the guilt, all the shame with it, and give us the same kind of brand new beginning that he gave this woman that day. It'll change your life. And I want to encourage you, if you've never done that before, do that right now where you're seated. Just say, Lord, forgive me. I receive you into my life as my Savior. Give me eternal life. He'll answer that prayer. The rest of us, um, our mission, our mission is to tell others at every opportunity to tell others about the Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, um, we pray, Lord, that your passion for people, your love for people will fill our hearts. And that, Lord, we'll have the same sense of uh, urgency that you had. Not to put off sharing our faith and by saying, well, there's, there's four months and then the harvest, the harvest time. No, Lord, the people around us now, Lord, the harvest field is there right now. So help us, Lord. Give us the eyes to see it and the heart to engage it. And Father, uh, may many, as a result, come to know you as Redeemer and become part of your church family. And Father, we give you praise. We give you thanks. We pray all of these things in the great and mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.